0: Welcome to the Pacific Keep Church Podcast. We believe everyone has a place in God's story. On this podcast, you will hear sermons, interviews, and other content from our pastors and community leaders at our church in Spokane, Washington. If you are blessed by this podcast and want to learn more about us, you can visit us on our website at pacifickeep.com. Additionally, if you want to support our work financially, you can give at PacificKeep.com forward slash give. Without further ado, here is this week's content.
1: Good morning. Do you guys know what baptism is? What is baptism? Just shout out an answer. I can't hear you. Obedience. What else? What else is baptism? A w- unity with Christ. New creation. What else? Happy birthday! Yes. It is, in a way, a birthday for people. For me, it was really easy. Before baptism, I came to church as a youth pastor in a t-shirt, and I emerged as senior pastor in a jacket and dress shoes. (laughs) The transformation was really quick. But really, that's what baptism is. Baptism is a transformation. And it was really a pleasure and an honor to be here as people took the step of faith. The Bible teaches us that Uh, The faith that we have in Jesus is something to also be publicly proclaimed. And so when you saw the five folks get baptized today, you might be thinking, well, I'm just somebody watching it happen, but it's not just you watching it. We as a church participate because now these are our kids. These are our new family members. And it is everybody's job here to care for these five people. Now you may ask, well, how do I, I don't even know them. Well, you could write down their names. You could pray for them because too often the, what we do in our faith has become an isolated thing. It's my faith. It's my baptism. But really historically the church has been about, this is our baptism. These are our friends. These are our companions and we walk life with them now together. Amen. So say hello. Hello. Invite them over, pray for them. Let's be a family. Today is an ironic day because the baptism tank itself represents two realities. It's two things at the same time. The first thing that it is, it is a coffin. Ugh, Funeral. We don't like that because it represents, the water represents a grave. A grave, a deep grave where we put the person in and what we are declaring is that when we dunk them into the water, the, what we call the old man, the person that is old with all of its bad habits, jealousy, anger, pride, ego, the selfish, selfishness that often accompanies our lives where we want to just make it about us, all of that goes into a grave. It's dead. And so in a way, the tank, think of it as a big funeral service. We actually had five funeral services today. On the flip side, when we take the person out of the water, the baptism tank starts to represent a crib, a baby crib, a crib, a a, a symbol of somebody was just born. And now this person is to be celebrated. This new creation in Christ is to be celebrated nourished and fed and grown. How many of you here have kids? Raise your hand. How many of you have maybe a brother or sister who has kids? You know of a little person. Raise your hand. You know that raising kids is a challenge and no one can do it alone, right? That we need each other. And so today we celebrate two things. One is the death of the old, but also we are now celebrating the birth of the new. That's what baptism is. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Roman church. He says this in Romans six, one through four, we're going to read this passage. He is writing some context for you to new believers in the church. And he says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we, who died to sin still live in it? Paul is having a debate with some Christians who say, hey, the more people sin, it seems like the more God's grace increases to counter the evil in the world. And it's true. If you look at history, from the very beginning of the church up until to this day, when it seems dire, when you turn around and say, hey, sin seems to be increasing, evil seems to be increasing, the world is going to Hades in a handbasket, it seems like the more dire the world is, You see these explosion of God's grace. Have you been following the uh, Asbury revivals, uh, college revival? Some of you have, and there's a lot of debate here and there, what's going on there. It's an interesting thing. So some context, there's this Christian college somewhere in the south, and they started a worship service there, just a normal chapel service per usual. And the Holy Spirit apparently fell down, and people have started to confess sin and praying and, and coming to Jesus. You know, rebirth is happening, and it has just kept going and going and going. So the worship band got tired, they put in a new worship band, they just keep praying. And I think it's been going on for seven days straight, nonstop. People are flying in from all over the world, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Some celebrity pastors are showing up in their nice sneakers and they're told to wait in the back of the line with everybody else because it's just normal people who said, we just want God. Sin has been increasing. God, we're desperate for you. And his spirit shows up and does miracles. That's what the church has always been about. It has never been about platforms or Instagram followers or Professional production, although all those things can help, but they're not the main point. Amen. We have turned the church into a platform for a TED talk and the Holy Spirit, I believe, is doing something throughout the country, throughout the world, saying, wake up because as sin increases, grace increases. And what Paul is saying here is don't take God's grace for granted. People say, well, hey, if God's grace increases, if I sin more, I'll just do what I want more. So his grace could work more. <laughs> Woo-hoo! And he's like, that's not how it works. Because when you bury something, it stays dead. It stays dead. And so when he says that we have been baptized into Christ Jesus, the Greek word there is actually, it means to be fully submerged. His, the visual there is, think of a ship. Titanic, for example, it hits an iceberg and then it starts to take on water and you can still see the Titanic today. Amen. Through technology and submarines, you can dive down and see it. But Here's the question. As you look at that grave at the bottom of the Atlantic, how many of you have seen pictures or video of the Titanic on the bed of the ocean? Tell me this. Will that thing ever float again? Does it still look like a ship? Could you tell it's a ship? You can. a resemblance of it there, of it is still there, but it will never float again. That's what Paul is saying happens to our old, sinful person. There is a resemblance of it. sometimes there's temptation to go back and make it float, <laughs> but it used to work, but Paul is saying, if you are in Christ Jesus. It is impossible for you to continue to sin continually all the time. You might try, there might be temptations here and there, but you can no longer bring that puppy up. God's got you and he's going after you. You're his. He wants you not to float sin back up to the surface. You want to be a new creation. And this is what it means to be baptized in Christ. Hopefully for you folks here, We got baptized. Hopefully you had a bit of a titanic moment, meaning hopefully a part of your old person is being submerged and it's going to stay at the bottom of the ocean. Amen. No longer will you want to bring it back up. So we were baptized into Christ Jesus, but then he doesn't stop there. And I love what he says, but now we are made new in Christ. So he continues in Romans six, five, he says this for, if we have been united with Him in his death, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now that's crazy (laughs) because think about this. Christ was raised physically from the dead, his body, new body came out of the grave, completely new body. Now it took on the old body. Now people go, Hmm, this isn't Easter, but let me talk about this new body of Christ. It looked like the old body. He had hands and feet and holes in his hands from the nails, but it gained some new characteristics. He could walk through walls, still ate with them. He could speak to the father. Some theologians say that the resurrection of Christ's physical body was kind of like a prototype, like your first Tesla model that before it went mass production, they just said, Hey, here's what's going to look like. He was the first to be resurrected. But when God comes back, all of us who are in Christ Jesus, even if we're in the grave, we will raise like him with new physical bodies. And when we go to heaven, we will be in our bodies, resurrected. People like to make it like an analogy, like, well, I'm a new person in Christ, meaning I no longer sin. Yes, amen. This is true. You have new creation, but you're also guaranteed to be resurrected like him, like Jesus in the end, whenever that comes. He continues in verse 6. We know For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, can, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. I love that last phrase. Consider yourselves now dead to sin. That's the coffin. And alive in Christ Jesus. That's the crib, the baby crib. You've got this new thing going on, and now that you've got this, what we call new creation, it is your job, and I'm going to be showing you guys because you've been baptized, to invest in that new creation. Now, God has given it to you as a gift. You can't earn it. You can't make it happen. God made it happen. But now that you have it, God has given you and I, the church, responsibility for it to grow. To become not just a kid in a crib forever, but to grow into a full, mature human being that then is more powerful to then overcome sin because of the maturity in Christ. Now, for those of you who've had kids or you know of people with kids, right? If you take a baby home from the hospital and you put it in the crib and you don't touch it ever again, will the baby live? No. I had a temptation to that once. (laughs) My kid was being a little bit annoying. I'm not feeding you anymore until you shut it, you know. <laughs> but you do, you you love the baby. You work with the baby. But I I will never forget my last day in class at Whitworth. I was finishing up my theology study, and you know my wife called me and she said, "Get over here! I'm having a baby." I stand up. Goodbye, class. My wife is having a baby. A round of applause. We go to the hospital. I go to the hospital. She was already there because she worked there, and we had our baby. Now, as as a parent. I was freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to feed it the- It took me a while to figure it out. And I remember when we brought the baby home. And we had the crib set up. It was beautiful. And I took the baby and I sort of like just put Grace down just very carefully. Just make sure she didn't die. Just, ah. Uh. Two years later, my second daughter was born. I'm like, boop. <laughs> She'll be fine. <laughs> I heard if you have a third one, you forget him in the car after the hospital. Just with time, you get a little better at this thing. And I apologize. Maybe some of your spiritual family will drop you in the crib. Some will leave you in the car. Jesus always got you, though. He's behind the wheel, right? My point is, we have this new creation. Now it's time to feed. Now here's the thing. Our old creation still lives with us, but now we are in Christ. We have this new creation. There's this really great quote by Socrates, who's a you know philosopher, but he says this, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. The secret to change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. There will be a temptation in your life to just fight your own habit, your old sin, to go back to the wreckage of the Titanic and look at it. And then the devil and your enemy and sometimes your own thoughts will remind you of how much you did, how much you've done in the past. Look at your wreckage of your life. How can this be? And the temptation is to stick there and say, how can I fix this wreckage? How can I make it float again? There was actually a couple of efforts. I don't know if you guys have read about this. Some researchers and folks who really love the Titanic put together money. They're thinking we should raise the ship. And they did all this research and it never worked because it was too hard. And I feel like as Christians, we do that sometimes. We go, how can I fix my old self? And what God is saying is don't focus on your past and trying to fix it. Focus on your new creation and building that. Because if you spend all of your time on building who you are now in Christ, then you won't have any time and your old will just fade away. And that's our first takeaway. After baptism, you know, don't go at it alone. Be grafted in. With Christ and the church. This grafting, what I mean by that, is when you are in the church, people can help you grow into your new calling. And so that is the quest. That is life's journey moving forward. I'm gonna end with this idea. Many of you have heard me preach about this before, but it's worth repeating today that although our old person has died, let's be honest with ourselves. Do you ever get tempted to go back to your old life and live it? Do you ever get tempted when you're like, God, I'm going to pray for patience, and then immediately you get hit with the worst thing in your life, and your kids are going crazy, your spouse is just driving you mad. It's like I'm being tested, and I want to revert back to my old nature because that makes sense, and I know how to operate in that old world. Well, the temptation is to go there, but I just want to encourage you that as you grow in Christ— You're going to have moments where you slip back into the old person. You will have moments just like when a baby is in a crib, they fall, they mess up. Learning how to walk. Do you know how many bruises there are? Do you know how many walls I've repainted in my house because my kids have drawn on the wall with permanent marker when I said, don't do that. Took a while. So if you draw on the wall, if you fall, if you scrape your knee, here's the difference. It says in the scriptures that a righteous person, even if he falls seven times, will get up seven times. That's the difference between being alive and being dead. When you're dead to sin, you live in sin and you don't even know that you are fallen. A righteous person strives to follow Jesus, to learn about his words, falls and realizes that falling is wrong and attempts to get back up. You catch the difference? A person not in Christ will stay down and they will say, well, this is just who I am. This is how life works. I'm in this because this is who I am. A person in Christ says, I have awareness that my falling is no longer in alignment with my new nature. Have you ever struggled? Have you ever done something? Have you ever lived a life, done things in your life and you're like, "Ugh, I don't want to do this." I still do this because I have no control over this part of my life, but I don't like it." Anybody? <laughs> don't like it. That awareness means that God's doing something in your life. It might be even a clue that the Holy Spirit has already given you new creation and maybe it's still an infant, but it's time to make it grow. And that's the challenge for you is to make it grow and to get up and to be honest with yourself and with God. Somebody asked me today in other days, I've had this question, how do I talk to God about this? I'm struggling with addiction. I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with temptation. I am struggling with the wreckage. How do I talk to God about it? And the answer is always talk to God. Honestly, talk to God. Honestly, Not a formulaic prayer. There is no specific prayer or algebra in the Bible about how you should pray. Prayer is a conversation with God. So for folks who got baptized, this is my big wish for you. Start praying every day. Telling God, Lord, I need your help. This is where I feel like the devil is seeking to return me to the old wreckage of my life. This is who I am in Christ. Help me and start to grow. And the other thing is don't go at it alone. You know, when I put my baby in the crib, Grace and Evelyn, now guess what? I was not the only person raising the kid. If I was the only person in charge of my babies, they would be dead. (laughs) Because I'm very bad at taking care of people. (laughs) I'm just not wired very well. But guess who is? Me plus my wife? Totally different story. Thank you, Julia. (laughs) We also had our grandparents and cousins, and aunts, and uncles. It was a whole family ordeal. We all were part of it, and I think that's what the local church is for. The local church is there for you to help you grow. I'll end with this. Salvation in the Bible is holistic. It's all-encompassing. We are saved not just from the past, but from the present and the future. So when you guys accepted Jesus Christ into your life, when you said, Lord, I'm going to follow you, automatically what happens in the spiritual world is you're saved from the penalty of sin. Meaning, you no longer will spend eternity alone from God. You're saved because you put your faith in Jesus. Jesus is Lord. His death on the cross becomes a substitute for your life. But also, you're not just done there. So you've saved in the past, but then as you walk this life and you struggle with the old man or the old woman, that sounds weird, (laughs) old woman and old man, you are being saved in the present from the temptation of sin. The enemy comes at you and God helps you. It says that anybody, again, the righteous person, if he falls, he gets back up. That's being saved. And over time, as you grow, you come better. You become like a Navy seal of spiritual warfare. You kind of know, Hey, at 7am when I wake up and I haven't had my coffee, that's when temptation strikes to be impatient. You kind of see it and you prepare, you become better at your life at noticing where the enemy is going to attack. You become a better spiritual fighter. You gain wisdom and tools and friends. And so you've been saved in the past. You're being saved in the present and then when God comes back, we will be fully saved. Meaning when we are remade and resurrected with Christ, as we read about in Romans 6, and we become new creation and sin is no longer in the world, God's going to come back, defeat sin fully and completely, then we will be saved in the future. So you're in that process, in the middle. You're in the middle right now of being made sanctified like Christ Drafted or grafted into his image. There are a lot of imagery that is used in the Bible to talk about this process. The ship is one. Another one that the Bible uses is you've been grafted in. Have you ever seen a tree branch being grafted in? I've never seen it. I've only read about it. Maybe there's a farmer out here who's seeing it. You take one tree that has the root system. You take another tree, another branch. And you graft it into the existing tree, and the new fruit comes. But during the grafting process, the branch that is attached to the big tree with the root system by itself has no energy. It has no life. If left alone, it would die. But as soon as it's grafted in, all of a sudden, the tree and the root system that's maybe been there for tens of years, 20, 30 years... All of a sudden, it starts to suck up the nutrients from the ground and deliver those nutrients not just to its branches but into this new branch that was grafted. And it was through this process that the new branch receives life and brings fruit and brings all sorts of coolness going on. I actually heard in Washington State they did that with a tree, they were experimenting with different apples and they invented a new apple. <laughs> it's like this. Amazing cosmic crispy apple that uh, never rotted for 40 years. It was incredible. Uh, you also get extra fingers after you eat it. But it, <laughs> I don't know. They were just talking about this scientific how they created all this from. Like man, that just sounds dangerous. But it was cool. It was a joke. My point is, that's what you and us we are all j- grafted in. Jesus Christ Himself is that tree trunk with the roots. Jesus says, if you stay and remain in me, I will remain in you. And so this is my wish for all of us, not just for folks who got baptized, for all of us. We've been grafted in. Let's be united with Christ and let him transform our nature into his nature. Let's work it out. And also, let's just have a lot of grace towards one another. Amen? There's a lot of judgment that goes around. And what we need as brothers and sisters in Christ to live together. In the West, as I think about the Asbury revival that's happening right now, we have become professionals at accumulating information into our head. We know the gospel. We know the truth. And then we turn around on Monday and we go, but I don't have power to live it. Why? Because information alone is not enough. We have to be grafted in with the Holy Spirit to grow. Remember that conversation Jesus had with Peter, John, and some of the disciples, and he said, who do you say that I am? This is after he made miracles, did all sorts of things. And Peter said, you are the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, my father. Flesh and blood cannot reveal to us We can't just go to another Gospel 101 class and put more information in our head for transformation. We need to know about Jesus, but it is the spirit that actually makes it living in us. I was reading this missionary, Leslie Newbegin who spent a lot of time in India, and he said when he went to the Indian people, um, they said, Jesus is Lord. The only problem is that word Lord (laughs) was the same word. As all the other gods that they worship had same name. So when they said Jesus is Lord, they went, the Indian people went, oh yeah, he is Lord. In addition to these other 40 gods. And they're like, no, no, no. He is like Lord over everyone. And they couldn't, they couldn't get it because the word was the same Lord. And this missionary guy is writing in his memoirs. He's saying at that point, I realized that even our language isn't enough to convey this truth. And until the Spirit of God, until Asbury happens, until the Spirit communicates it to us, we will understand. So that's the prayer. Lord, we're humble. We're desperate. We don't know what's going on. We want you to open it to us. And if we live in that, the problem, though, is a lot of times after baptism, we're like, we got this. I know enough. Cool. And then we detach ourselves from the source of that power. And we walk around, and we can be biblically literate, and we know all the right answers, but we don't live the right answers. And that is the gap that I believe the Spirit is trying to close, especially in our country. Amen. Let's pray for that. Let's ask for God to reveal himself to us, not through more knowledge about him, but through transformational deep change in our lives. Let this revival and this coffin not just be for these five folks, but what are the things in your life that you need to bury today? Before the new you can arise.
0: That's what we want to do today. Thank you for listening to the Pacific Keep Church podcast. If you've been blessed by our ministry, you can learn more, follow along, or give at pacificheap.com. Go with grace and peace.